Right, welcome everyone. It's back to Fazlift's podcast, episode 13. Uh, back with part two with Alex Shinaz from Team Metal Athletics. Uh, first one went really, really well, so I had a good, a good feedback, but we didn't get a chance to finish all the questions. So away we go. And before we get started, um, this podcast is going to be on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube. Uh, and I do really uh, want some positive reviews on iTunes especially. So uh, please leave me some feedback there. That'd be great. Thank you. All right. Uh, Alex, welcome back. Um, let's go with the first question. Uh, you talked last time about being about clients being coachable. And I, I, I picked you up on that point because I really like that. Um, so can we kind of revisit what you mean when you say coachable? Yeah. Hey guys. Um, coachable. The, the most difficult thing for a coach is somebody who's um, kind of questioning and fighting back as for every point that you're making. So it's like, you know, somebody's um, got, got a different idea of how things should be going. And this happens a lot of times for people that are like five, six weeks out and they see the competition, they think they look better or they're further ahead or maybe we're further ahead and they're wondering if we're going to peak too early, which is an insane question that I get a lot. Um, people wondering, hey, am I, am I ready too early? Which, I mean, more or less doesn't exist for, mm, for yeah. the vast majority of people. Mm. Um, but the, the coachability comes in where you're able to shut off the stress factors that make you question everything. Or even better, you just don't have that um, that type of worry. Like you just some people are, are perfectly happy to just chug along and do their thing. Um, and those are the people that are the easiest to bring in, but the coachability also comes in where you're addressing weak points or things to go forward, like post-show, you know, a lot of people just self-destruct post-show. They, they don't have uh, a solid grasp on their emotions or their, uh, their mental state. And they tend to kind of seesaw back and forth between, two wildly different ideals for a while. Um, and it, it creates a very difficult position for the coach who's responding to your emotional state over and over yeah. uh, rather than having a solid approach, trusting that it's a sound one and pushing forward through the period of time where hormonally you're not really stable and mentally you're coming off of a very big wave and uh, you need to kind of settle it down. So the, the most coachable people are the ones who have um, stability in those periods. And I think that that's something people can work on too. It doesn't just happen. It's it, a lot of it's about structuring your, your days and your life around um, all of your interests and putting bodybuilding there as not just something that you're, you're thinking about all day long, um, but you're executing. So yeah. that's the main thing for me is trying, trying to talk to people that are, uh, emotionally kind of wild um, is is difficult. So there's yeah. some people that are extremely uncoachable in, the, in those regards. Yeah, I the reason that I really like that is in a in a different life I actually was a um, secondary school teacher. So for you guys, high school, um, and we used to use the term teachable, whether it's yeah. teachable or not, and it's very very similar. And I found that in coaching as well, it's very very similar. Then who can really trust the overall plan without questioning the minor details, which are which are pretty much set in stone. Obviously, you want your client's feedback, but there's a different yeah, yeah, yeah. take. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't mean that they shouldn't have questions. Or of course, have of course, any yeah. Any doubt 
or, you know, or input like, Hey, I don't think this is working. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can, we might disagree on that, but if, if there's a valid, uh, you know, feedback here, like, Hey, I, I feel like I'm, uh, like I got a, a guy today that we've been working with. I've been working with for four or five years. Um, he's, he's won three shows. We haven't lost a show yet. Oh. And, uh, but he's trying to move up to the national level now and he's kind of beaten, you know, for two of those shows, he beat pretty bad competition. And on the third show, he beat some pretty good competition and now it's time to move up. And so he's a firefighter. He lives in Canada. Um, and he's, he's kind of hit a wall in terms of his, his job is very physically demanding. And, uh, and the last, I'd say six or eight weeks, he's run into tendonitis. And then after the tendonitis kind of subsided, we got back to training and he's just like, you know, I'm really lethargic and I don't feel well. And, um, so, you know, at that point it's time to pull back and get blood work and yeah. kind of reevaluate. But without that feedback, some guys would just bash through that and keep going and, mm -hmm. you know, or they'd report kind of indifferently to it. Yeah. Um, and so without that, you know, that feedback, you're not coachable. You know? yeah. It's not possible to fix. Yeah, 100% so, agree. I've also found that um, for the clients who are quite coachable, sometimes when they start to get a little bit awkward, it's usually a decent sign that something's going on in their personal lives or they're perhaps a little bit overtrained. And that in yeah. itself is a sign to pull back. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So just so, as a follow-on from that, what, what are some examples of some of the worst clients you've had? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's, there's a lot of different types of bad clients. Mm. Um, probably the, the, the most difficult ones to deal with are the ones who feed on their diet persistently cheat on their diet yeah. and think that that i don't know and they could be really they're, they're cheating themselves and a lot of times they don't even really realize it that they're cheating on their diet necessarily or they're they're making admissions mm -hmm. where they shouldn't be um i've got a guy who he's an excellent excellent client i've had him for over a year and we we've brought him from pretty fat to like he's he's probably like seven or eight percent right now we're like six weeks out so um, he about, I want to say nine and a half, 10 weeks ago, uh, or 10 weeks out, like four, four or five weeks ago, he'd just been stuck at 219 pounds for like eight weeks. And, and his food that I had on his plan, it just didn't warrant that, that type of a weight. So I stopped and I said, I'm not pulling any more food. I'm not adding any more cardio. I'm not adding any more drugs. I'm not doing anything here until we address this because you're either eating too much or you're, yeah. you're sneaking food off the plan yeah. or you're not doing the activity you're telling me because it's just not, doesn't line up. And, uh, and so I said, well, okay, we're going to take a picture of every meal from now on. Um, and you're going to send me a picture six times a day for the next 10 weeks. And wouldn't you believe that <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> that in, right. in three weeks we're down six pounds and it's six really quality pounds and he's dry and yeah. lean and looks great. And, uh, and he says, yeah, you know, he still hasn't really acknowledged it. And I haven't given him a hard time about it. It just, it just came to the point where I knew he was doing something. And the only way to really push through it was, was to get him to send me pictures. So this is something that happens more often than I'd like to admit that if I make people take pictures, either one, they, they start improving or two, they quit. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason, and the reason yeah. they quit is because they weren't fucking doing it in the first place. Yes. Right. So what am I supposed to do? Take more food away from the plan? They're not doing anyway. Yeah. But you, you don't really know what the plan is at that point because they're not doing the plan. 
there's just there's just no just, point for me there's no point I, yeah I, I can't fix anything at this point and and anything i put on paper is fake yeah so it's 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 not that they're bad people it's not that they're not trying hmm. it's it's just that they're not willing to fully commit and that's not coachable there's no way i can fix it so that that's one of them another one is um people that take everybody's uh, opinions and point of view or seek out other opinions yeah. um, constantly. Uh, sorry, one second. That's, uh, are you going to run that first? Well, I can set it up because I'm waiting for screens to dry. Yeah. And then I can burn the screens. So I was going to set this up on one of the heads and then yeah. talk about JL Electric and what size she wants and we'll print out those okay. films. Yeah, get that set up. I'm going to be on this for a little bit though. Okay. Sorry about that, Faz. No worries. Uh, so, so yeah, there's, there's, there's the people that are, and, and you know, what's funny is like, I, there's some high level people that work with really, really high level coaches that hit me up constantly for opinions. Mm. And, and I'm like, I'm in this really strange position where I'm like flattered that they want to hear my opinion. And, you know, I'm thankful that I, that I looked at that way, but at the same time, I, I can't really give it. So I'm always, I'm always saying, well, what does your coach think? What, what does he think? Oh, you know, well, this and that. And I'm, and I'm thinking, ah, I wouldn't want to work with this person, you know, because they're, they're going to do this to me. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a similar situation recently. So um, there's a guy who left his previous coach and he came to me about three weeks prior to his contest and uh, he left his previous coach kind of bitching about him and all that. And I'd known this guy for a few years off the forums. So I thought, you know, fair enough, let's take him on and see what happens. Did the competition. Yeah. He did really well. He was uh, with me for about six months after. Never once put anything up on social media to say I was coaching him or anything like that. I actually talked him through uh, potentially an eating disorder. So I did a lot of good work for him. And uh, one day, a few weeks ago, he uh, he just sends me a message saying, okay, I think I've, uh, I can go on it on my own now. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to leave you. And so there was no thanks, no nothing like that. And next thing I know, he's with some other coach and he's putting it all over his Instagram saying, I'm with these guys now and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm like, holy shit, there's just no integrity. So if that guy's yeah. listening, by the way, and you can go fuck yourself. So uh, that's just from me to him. <laughs> so yeah, that's one yeah, of my I've, worst clients. I've got two more examples, I guess, that I could give you. One is uh, I had a guy for several years and we went from like team to just a monster um and so i was we were 11 days out of the first show and our plan was to do the first show and then go do junior usas and um uh, he was going to be up against uh, hunter labrada at junior usas in the super heavyweight class oh wow so so we, we were doing uh we were doing pretty good i had noticed for like six weeks before the show we, we were very combative um i had his food pretty low and he's a big guy and I thought it was necessary mm -hmm. at the time. He wasn't doing a lot of cardio. He had a pretty strenuous job, but uh, not, not physically strenuous, but, but mentally so, which can be just as taxing. Yeah. So, so the food was lower and the, and the training was, was a little lower than I'd like, but it was necessary because he would have been too stressed otherwise. Um, so anyway, everything was going really good. I thought, and then we started kind of butting heads and he said, you know, this other guy that you've got is, is eating a lot more and he's coming in faster and this and that. And I said, I, I said yeah, that's not, not really relevant. No. And, uh, and then he, uh, you know, 11 days out, we, I, we had booked flights for me to go down to his show and uh, 11 days out, he called me up and he was like, you know, I really appreciate everything you've done for me forever and this and that, but I'm going to, I've got an opportunity to work with Chris Aceto and I'm going to take him on. And I said, yes. okay, well, yeah, yeah. you know, I, 
I understand. So after the show, we'll do that. He's like, no, no, I'm going to do it now. And I was <laughs> like, are you fucking serious? Like, I, you know, let me finish out the show. Yeah. You know? And, mm. and he was like, you know, I didn't say that to him, but he was like, yeah, I think it's the best that I get on Chris's plan right away. And I said, okay, all right. I get yeah. it. Well, what, what, can, what can you say at that point? I really just wanted to go down to, to thank him, to yeah. thank yeah, yeah. him and his wife and, you know, to, to see him again. And I have friends down there and I wanted to go down and, and see everybody and, and kind of finish out full circle what we had started. And, uh, you know, you get a chance to go work with Chris, you go work with Chris, I guess sure. that's, you know, it's fine. So, I mean, I can't, I can't really argue it. So anyway, he goes and does the show pretty handily wins, goes on to junior USA, gets second, but the day, day of the show, he hits me up and he's, Macedo's not answering me. Macedo's not answering me. And I said, well, what do I mean? What do you need? Mm. And he said, well, he sends me the, I still have a text. He's like, sends me all these texts like that he sent to Chris. And Chris says, you know, he's saying, I'm, I'm flattening out. I did a photo shoot two days ago. I've been on a Dactone for like a week. Um, I'm really flat. I, I feel like I need to get hydrated. Um, you know, what do I do? And Chris says, are you going to retan your face? Mm. Like was his response. And he's, and I'm like, I just start laughing. I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you going to retain your face? Like who gives a fuck about your face? Yeah. 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 Right. So mm. I'm at this point, I'm just like, what has this guy done to Chris Aceto mm. to get, to get this kind of a response? Mm. And like, I can't imagine. And he's a, he's a good kid. So I can't imagine he's done anything really. So, I, you know, I said, all right, listen, unsolicited, I, you know, against better judgment, I'm going to give you my advice. You need to rehydrate, you need a lot of sodium in your body right now. I go, what did you carve up on? He said, well, he didn't really tell me, so I used Rice Krispie treats. And I said, what? Like, how many? He's like, 2,000 grams of carbs from Rice Krispie treats. Holy shit. And I'm like, what the fuck? Over, over how long? On? I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. That you're, you know what I mean? So this is a nightmare client to me. This is somebody that should be fucking with me. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I'm like, so then after the show ends, he fires him and goes with Andrew Vu. And, and then, and then Andrew cuts his food down really low and gets him, gets him shredded. And he's coming into the show this year as a front runner for junior nationals and, and looks fantastic, but, it, but now he's eating less than I had him on and he's not complaining. Yeah. So, you know, he's posting up about how much he's suffering and how little he's eating. And I'm like, fuck dude, the only reason you left me is because you were just tired of me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I was giving you good advice and I would have gotten you to that exact same place. Of course you would have. I mean, if you, if you handled him three weeks up till the show, you would have got him the same place. Would have got him the same place. And, right. and, and I, and honestly, I go back and look at the pictures with me and I say, you were bigger, rounder, you were better. You would have come in really tight and with a better overall look this year. He looks better, but he, you know, it's, it, he's another year older. He's also very young. So it's like, he's kind of progress. Yeah. Um, so that to me was kind of a nightmare where it's just, where it's just the people get tired of your, uh, the way you talk to them or the way you deal with each other or be, become too close as friends. And yeah. they don't, they, they want to beef with you more than they want to listen to you. Um, that's one. And then the third one that I'll give you, uh, not to harp on bad clients because it's kind of bad form, but <laughs> but I could go on all. Day. That's we fun. Just, we could do just an episode with this. <laughs> um, another another guy that I picked up off GH15, and I actually found him and said, "You have tremendous potential." He was very young at the time. I said, "You've got to get on stage," and he was like, "You really think so?" And I was like, "Yeah, I really do." And uh, he was like, "Well, I don't have any money, you know, this and that. I can't I can't afford a coach." And I said you know what? I'll fucking help you. Like, I'll get you there. You have what it takes. I want to see you do it. 
So long story short, I ended up coaching him for two years, two shows, uh, two top three places, and never charged him a dime. <laughs> and then af- after the second show, um, he picked up a couple jobs and he was doing better. And I said to him, I was like, you know, I, it's just unfair for me to continue with you unpaid sure. um, yeah. to my other clients. It's just unfair to them. Yeah. They, you know, I don't mind doing, you know, helping some people out. I really don't. You know, I've got, I've got a couple people that I've told that have had serious tragedies in their life. And I tell them that if they ever need help for any reason, they're never going to pay me. I'll help you. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I'll go to bat for that. Like if anybody has a problem with it, I'll say, well, you can go fuck yourself because this person deserves it. Um, but this particular case, I had done everything well and above that you would, you know, that you would expect and for a paid client. And when I told him that it was, you know, there's a modest fee. My, my fees are not super high. Yeah. And he was like, ah, you know, I think I'm going to go in on my own for a while. I was like, cool, no problem. He's like, I'll pick you up for prep next time. I was like, no problem. So he hits me up for, for prep. I'm like, all right, let's get going. And then he just kind of ghosts me. And then out of nowhere, he's like, hey, I'm three weeks out. I think I'm going to do this show. I'm not really sure. I got to prep really fast for it. And I'm like, yeah, I think you can do it. I definitely think you can do it. And, and, you know, he was waiting for me to say, I'll help you. But I was like, good luck, you know? Mm. Yeah. So he does the show and then out of nowhere hires another coach. Mm. And I'm just like, it doesn't make any sense to me. That makes no sense. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. Everything we did was, was tremendous up to that point. Yeah. And really, really, he was just like, I was good enough for free, but I wasn't good enough to, to be paid. Yeah. And that sucks because you've got two years of experience with his body. So you know him. Inside and out. Inside. And he's thrown that away. That makes no sense. Inside and out. And, and I, I don't know, maybe he needed to mature to the point where he could kind of take it as seriously as he needed to, to get to the upper levels. Cause he will get there, I think. Mm. But uh, it, at the time that I had him, he was just like, I can't eat enough. It's too uncomfortable. I'm going to stop this and that, like enjoy my summer. And so there's a little bit of a maturity thing there. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to be like, no, you have to fucking eat. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was just a nightmare because for me, because I was invested and, and I expect, and, and he had told me that I was the only one he wanted to work with and that I had, I had nailed everything. He was completely happy and then just kind of ghosted me and showed up with another guy. And I was like, ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if people just think they're getting something else, something new from other, from another coach, you know, because the, you know, the, you know, as well as I do, the process of bodybuilding is, is fairly boring. It's repeatability. You do the same thing over and over and over. And a lot of times, you know, the best check-ins are basically just carry on doing what you're doing. And I don't know sometimes if people expect that, Oh, this is a limited approach, perhaps with a different coach, we could get some bells and whistles and I might get faster progress. But a lot of times it's just not the case. There are a million ways to peak at the end. Hmm. Um, and so somebody might do it differently and, and they, you know, you might have a good result or, or feel like, it's interesting and, and you want to hear what they have to say for the rest of the year. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to approach drugs in the off season and stuff like that. So I could see wanting to try different approaches. Um, so I, I kind of do get it, but yeah, the vast majority of bodybuilding is like, is like insane repetition. Absolutely. Right. Now so, I would, I, I would love to carry on with this, but we're going to move on to the next question. All right. Um, so are there any common coaching pitfalls you try and avoid? So things in your practice, um, which you've seen time and time again that you try to avoid. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I saw this question. I, I thought about it for a while. And now when you asked it, I'm kind of like, not sure how to, 
how to put it into words. I should have thought about it a little bit more. Um, you know what? Go to the next question. Yeah, we can back come back to it. to it. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to think on it for a minute. Yeah, yeah. The next question is a really good one. Um, so are there any common traits that you've seen or you theorize for championship bodybuilders? So your best clients, what are some of their common traits? Because I know I could think of some for mine. But what do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is actually one of my favorite types mm. of questions because I'm a, I'm a big fan of athletes in general in many sports. and um, the common trait that I see with the, uh, the top end athletes, the best of the best is the killer instinct. And, uh, and I just call them killers. So like if we're talking about basketball and people are saying, Oh, LeBron's on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, level of Jordan. I just stop with the, with the like emoji flat face. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, the one with the squinty eyes. And the yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my face. And I go, LeBron ain't a killer, buddy. Yeah. He ain't a killer. LeBron's a nice guy who builds schools for kids. Who does, you know, he's with the same woman for, for 17 years and you can't find the traffic ticket. You know, yeah, maybe he's a little egotistical when you talk to him after a game or whatever, but you get on the floor and he can't wait to pass the ball. And uh, he's, he's a deferential type of player with, with supreme skill sets. Um, and so as such, he's not a killer. He doesn't want the ball in his hands at the end. He can't be the best that ever lived. The only people that are the best that ever lived are killers. And so you look at Dorian Yates, because he's obvious example in, in bodybuilding. He was an absolute fucking murderer. He was an ax murderer. You know, he went in the dungeon and literally called the dungeon. And, and he formed his body out of sheer will and absolute killer instinct because he, he just couldn't stand the thought that anybody would outwork him yeah. and that anyone would have would give him any sort of trouble. So on game day, he wouldn't show you what he had until the last minute. And then he would just burn your soul with it, you know? And, and to me, the, the top level champions are, have an instinct that's absolutely killer. I know a local guy who's won the overall here at the Cutler, New England's on the Cutler like three times. And he hasn't gone to the national level or he did one national show. It didn't really turn out perfect for him. Um, but uh, I became friends with him over the years. And, you know, I talked to him leading up to a show that I didn't even know he was in. We were actually standing up near the stage. I didn't even know he was in it and was getting on to get weighed. And I said, I didn't know you were coming to this. He goes, if you're planning a mass murder, why would you tell him you're coming? <laughs> and I just, I was just like, motherfucker, <laughs> like, you know, and it gave me chills. It gave me chills because he looked, he won the show and he beat, he beat good people. He beat Nate Spear. He beat, um, uh, Jimmy LaFontaine, he beat a lot of good, uh, I think Charlie Arms, he but got a lot of guys who, a couple of them gone on to pro cards and they're top level national guys, he beat them all. And, uh, and but he was just quiet as can be. He's got a big fucking beard all year and then out of nowhere he shaves down, looks like Adonis, shows up on stage, kills everybody, you know, has nothing to say to anybody about anything, nothing. So yeah, that's, that's first for me. And it doesn't really just come down to structure and and uh and talent alone although obviously that's the next tenet of bodybuilding that's really supremely important is that you have to be put together well but as you see at pro shows you see guys that are maybe not structurally as perfect that take take the show um I'm trying to think of recent examples but it's like akeem williams and second over Sadik milan mm -hmm. at new york akeem's got a lot of muscle yes and he's in better condition that he's ever been yes but he looks like a potato next to static mm, yeah um, 
you know, Sadek has what you could consider like Mr. Olympia structure if he ever puts in the work and gets gets the next level of size mm, and keeps yeah. that. Like he could be he could be except for his pencil neck. He has like a really silly flex wheeler neck. Um I don't know if you ever noticed Flex Wheeler and had like a really tiny neck. Like Flex Wheeler had just, yeah, just very small extremities all together. Very, very small, joints it, and everything. Yeah, Sadek has that too. You kinda yeah. look at him and go, What the fuck is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it kinda looks like he doesn't train. That's kinda yeah. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just so, has these big bulging muscles and then or, you know it matched to a very yeah, small frame. Guys, you kinda wonder how, how hard they're training, you know, because mm-hmm. of yeah. things like that. But you know, maybe his wrists are tiny, his knees are tiny, maybe he's just a small guy who's put on a lot of muscle. Probably. But you look yeah. at guy you look at a guy like Sadik and you're like, structurally, he's near perfect. Um, you know, maybe he could have a little smaller waist and he'd be like, like killer. Uh, I look at a guy like, uh, what's his name? That just won the, the classic class. Oh, uh, Keon. Keon, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. So like Keon's like Dexter Jackson when he was a kid. <laughs> uh, and evidently he's natural or close to it. So like you take somebody like that, and give him five years of like bodybuilding experience mm. and size, he could beat a lot of people. He yeah. could beat, you know, almost anybody really. I mean, he could be the best in the world in five years. Um, but the difference is, is he, is he going to, you know, plan a mass murder? You know what I mean? Is he going to, is he going to do that thing? And to me, you know, I'm, I sent Chainsaw a message this morning and I was like, Hey, you're fat. You suck. But he has, <laughs> Nobody has you winning. Um, nobody has is giving you any any sort of credit for anything. And you know you can get seventeenth place and nobody will even notice. I was like, so you better fucking start training, you know. And I you, and it was mostly because it? oh he's 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 absolutely like driven by stuff like that. Yeah, you know he's starting to build his own training crew and people that he's got under him and and i notice a lot of that a lot of the times they're doing group training sessions with like four or five people mm. and more or less what i was telling them is it's time to knock that shit off and get back to the 2 a.m stuff that you were doing yeah. because um there's only one way you're gonna reach your potential and that's when you're in your own head with fire and not chatting it up with the boys um and so to me it's you know i was never really that guy personally like I admire it and I know it, I know it's necessary to get there, but I was never, I guess maybe I was when I was, until I got hurt when I was like 23, I was pretty much like completely obsessed at that point. Um, and thank God I was, I did get hurt and, and didn't end up being just a bodybuilder. Cause you know, my life became much more enriched afterwards, but if you are going to be in the sport to be a champion, you've really got to be, you've got to be a killer. And so that's, that's my number one. My uh, my my old coach was uh, my old powerlifting coach was Tom Martin. He's a very famous powerlifter worldwide now, but he's also England's best powerlifter currently. But um, he he always used to say to me that you don't go into a competition just to win. You go into a competition to embarrass everyone else that turns up against you. And like when you enter into that room, everyone should just be like, "Fuck." And if I that, was a powerlifter, yeah. If I was a powerlifter at uh, at that level, my goal would be to make everybody quit. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you used to tell me every single time. My, my goal is that they don't want to lift anymore. They're just fucking yep. done with it. Exactly. And a lot of people felt like that about him when they went up against him. Um, pe- people who listen to my progress from England will know who he is, and he's just ridiculously strong. Yeah. Well, also, I, you know, I'd want to be squatting with blood coming out of my eyeballs and yeah. people looking at me saying, I'm not just, I'm not doing that. Yeah. The, you know what I mean? Like, the, I, the, I'm not the, a world class powerlifter, but if I was, that's, 
that would be my mentality. It would be like, how do, how do I make everybody scared of what they just saw? The sign of a great powerlifter for me is coming back from career ending injuries. He's had three so far and he's oh, come back, he's come back from them all stronger. He's just a tremendous, he's just, the, the willpower is insane. I've, I've told this story many times yes. before, but he, he told me once that for the clients that he gets, he wishes that he could put them through the pain that he feels on a daily basis. Not for any sadistic reason, but just simply to say, this amount of pain for these results, is that worth it to you? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's, it's funny. I was talking to Justin Randall like two or three years ago. Um, and, you know, at times in his preps, he was like literally sitting in his basement staring at the wall um, because he was just in tremendous starvation mode and pain. And, and you could see it on his face when you talk to him. Like he, he had no he had no happiness gene at that point. It was just like, you know, it was so matter of fact, everything was so matter of fact when he would tell you things like the passion flew through him, but like you could see the passion, but it was also like, you could see the pain on his face. And he said to me, like he was training some, some people and he said to me, they don't want to, they don't want to hit this level of pain. And he said one, one line he tells his client when they do this for five days and get back to me. And they're looking at it going, I, I don't know. And uh, he says, I wouldn't make you do anything I wouldn't do to myself. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking, nobody's going to go there, man. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just too, it's too much for most people. It is too much. I mean, I, I went there for a while and I got my best lifts under Tom. Um, but it wasn't sustainable with a full-time yeah. job, family life. It just isn't sustainable. So I, I feel like I've experienced it. But um, it wasn't sustainable for me, and I, so I tip, I tip my hat to anyone who can. Yeah, I tip my hat to anybody who can. It's it's, it's rough, right? So it's, we will. Not, yeah, go ahead. We we'll move on to the next one, um, because I I do love that question. I think we could ramble about it for for a while, but we've got a few to get through. So uh, next one is who are who are some examples of your favorite athletes? So across any sport. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, touched on that hmm. um, with uh, with the last one, but. Michael Jordan's the most obvious example for me, um, not just because of his abilities, but because, like, he was a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jordan's a terrible person. He's he's a problem gambler who got most likely got his father killed through de- gambling debts, and uh, and has, by all reports, treated people poorly for basically his entire life. Um, and so Michael Jordan, when he gets on the floor, treats everybody equally as bad at that point. And, and to me, Larry Bird is another one. Larry Bird's probably not anywhere near as bad a guy. But when he got on the floor, he was, he was just going to trash you. Um, and to me, sports at the highest level is about domination. And I love, I love the idea of being so on fire that you can tell your opponent exactly what you're going to do and then execute. Yeah. To say to say to somebody, you can't guard me. I'm going to come off the shoulder. I'm going to take two dribbles to the left, head fake you. You're going to go for it, and then I'm going to shoot the shot from here. Yeah. Yeah. And then do it. And then his opponents will come out and say, you know, afterwards he told me everything he was going to do, and he still dropped 40, <laughs> 48 points on me. Like there was there was nothing I could do about it. Yeah. To me, that's the pinnacle of of sports. Like yeah. just you can't stop me. Um, Tom Brady, probably really obvious because of where I'm from, but being that he was like a, a low-level draft pick, fifth or sixth round, sixth round, and uh, walked in the building, and Robert Kraft, the owner, saw him, and he said, hey, who are you? Like, 
you know, introduced himself, said, hey, I'm Tom Brady. I'm your new, uh, new quarterback. I'm the best choice you've ever made. Or he said, I'm the best choice this administration will ever make. And, you know, Robert Kraft told that story afterwards. And as it turns out, it was absolutely true. Uh, guy, guy couldn't run, looked like a sack of shit. Um, didn't have much of an arm, like didn't have a John Elway arm, didn't have a Dan Marino arm. You know, the skill set was not, you know, he was not the static of bodybuilding or the flex wheeler of bodybuilding. Um, you know, the skill set wasn't really there. So he, he did it through determination and, and learning and playbook and really iron nerves. Um, in, you know, in the, uh, the heat of pressure, I can't tell you how many times he was about to get murdered and he just stood there to the last second and delivered the football. I mean, he, and then just took a hit, just absorbed it. Um, you know, across pretty much all sports, uh, I used to love watching, um, Pete Sampras. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. Uh, huge fan of Pete Sampras. Mm. He, he just like, just wore people down and made them make mistakes and he never did. And, uh, it was great for a very long time. Federer is probably the same, but I haven't watched tennis quite as much. It wasn't, it's not as fun as it used to be. Mm. Um, you know, Tiger Woods in his, in his prime guys like that, where they're just, uh, like Tiger Woods, Probably not a very good guy. <laughs> yeah, I think we can safely say that I by think now. We've established that. I <laughs> yeah. think we've established that. Yeah, we have. And, and you know, he melted after everyone figured it out. He he absolutely fell apart as a human being, and, and it yeah. took him his reconstruction to get back to where he is. I'm I can't even imagine emotionally how hard that was to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but but pr- previous to that, his level of domination. I think there's a direct correlation sometimes to how poorly you can treat other people and how far you can go in life. And I'm not saying that people should be that way, but when I'm watching sports or when I'm watching somebody dominate other people and admiring it, you have to understand that that's a huge element of it. Yeah, it is. And I, I'm really glad you said that about sports and winning because right, right from the beginning for me, like powerlifting, when I was 18, I did my first competition when I was 18. It was never about just participating. It was always yeah. about winning. Uh, so I'm glad I, I hate it when people say that, like, yeah, well, Let's just send us take part and we'll, it, it'll be fun. I had fun at that federation. I had fun at that meet. My goal was always to compete against the best. And whether yeah. I got beat or not, you know, that was something to compete against the best. I, it, it annoys me when people compete in soft federations um, because they just want to have a good time with their friends. It's like, no, do you really want to look back at your life and go, I had, you know, I had some good time in that sport that I spent so much time on. Or would you want to look back at your, your life and think, well, I competed against the best and I got better because of doing that? Yeah. The, yeah. the only the only place that I have that level of competition now, like personally do, is is in poker, and mm-hmm. uh, I I can tell you, I'm I'm a pretty empathetic person, overall. Like I, it's probably why I'm not as as good as I I should have been at some of the sports. I I you know obviously I'm five foot three, five foot four, so I was never going to be a top top flight basketball player, even though I love basketball. Um, but when I play poker. I, I pretty much want to break you and, <laughs> and it's, it's super fun for me to do so. And my feeling is like, if you don't have the money to be at the table, you shouldn't be there. It's not yeah. my problem. Yeah. Um, but I'm, it's a psychological warfare and that's, that's where I'm probably closest to the ideals of those people that I, that I like um, in that element. As soon as the game's over, I'm not like that, but uh, that's probably the only place that I'm able to exhibit it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a great topic. So we'll move on to the next one. A uh, bit of a change of pace here. So how do you feel about social media and bodybuilding? Obviously, it changed a huge amount over the last 15 years. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I have mixed feelings about it. Mm. Um, on the one hand, I think that there's information that's accessible to people that wasn't when I was young. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a huge uh, benefit to young bodybuilders that they can get much further along much earlier than they would have necessarily when I was young. You know, I didn't even have anybody that would tell me anything. Like it was, they, they, they'd lie to me. So, you know, you'd ask a question and then you're like trying to figure out, okay, was that the real answer or the not real answer? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there, nowadays it's like, you could ask a question and get 17 answers. Oh yeah. Um, and, and you can figure out which ones you want to listen to, but at least you're getting 17 answers. And those are probably, probably within there, there's, there's a lot of truth and a lot of, you know, expert opinion. Um, on the other hand, I think it's created um, a dystopia or some sort of like dystopian image in people's minds about maybe dystopia is the wrong word, but like a, like a uh, distorted image of what is real. Mm-hmm. and um, it's never evidenced more than when you see people stand up next to each other on stage who on social media, you couldn't figure out who was better, but then on stage, it's not even close. Yeah. Um, so you, you get, you get these people that like, you know, the, I'll be getting inbox pictures of these people. Like somebody's going to go up against this guy. How am I going to beat this guy? How am I going to beat this guy? And I'm like, you're going to stand next to him and you're going to make him look small. You're going to make him look bad. I can already see it. Like, you know, I know what I'm looking at when I look at you, you know, I don't know what this guy is. Like, this is a social media angle. This is a picture that he took just for this purpose. I don't know what's real. Mm. Um, so that's part of it. And people get really, really hyped up over how someone looks in a picture online that's been edited. Well, I'll, um, I'll tell you an example of that. Do you remember um, Vic Richards? The uh, the yes. black black bodybuilder. He was he never really competed that often. It was it was all he had almost a mythical reputation in the magazines, and you'd see him in these pictures in the magazines. I know it's not social media, but he was basically away from the stage, just on his own. He looked amazing. People would talk him up, but you know, I saw footage of him recently on stage against Dorian, and Dorian yeah. Dorian made him look like a child. Was that the FIBO? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and so Dor- that was one of the few times he stood next to Dorian, and yeah. Dorian wasn't even really like he wasn't really close to his prime shape yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember that too. Mm. Yeah. This, it's a, it's a, it's very easy to make people feel like you're really good if you never have to stand up there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Victor Richards was interesting. He was, he, he, he was always uh, saying that he wouldn't compete because it was like against his religion. Then he would show up and compete somewhere. It's like very strange. <laughs> what was this? Um, what was his religion? I didn't, I didn't know that. I don't even know. I don't even know. I remember reading <laughs> I just remember him reading. It wasn't maybe not religion or against his beliefs or something. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, like he didn't want to compete against other people or something. And really, what it what it, what it meant was he didn't want to lose. Yeah. So. I think so. Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't stand a chance against Dorian. I mean, Dorian was just too big, too wide, too you large. Know what sucks? You know what sucks is if you're that good that like people are comparing you to the Mister Olympia, but you're not. Like you haven't had a chance to beat everybody else. Yeah. So like, like what's Victor Richards supposed to do? Like. The only, the only, everybody wants to see him against Dorian. Mm-hmm. So like now you got to go beat Mr. Olympia or who cares? Like that sucks. <laughs> you know, you know, on the flip side, had he actually just knuckled down and started competing against Dorian from the beginning, perhaps that would have spurred him on to be better. 
who knows like who I, knows? I i'm of, i'm of the, the opinion that if you were competing more often you're going to get better yeah so i think he would have been right there but you know it's it's hard to say i never even saw a picture of him from behind that's like, true. i don't think i've i don't think i've ever seen one from behind he could have he could have looked like looked glazed donut for mm. all we know yeah true you know um but yeah i mean social media um I, i'm not I'm not a huge fan anymore. I was for a while. I was, I was pretty entrenched in it and I still use it way too much. Like it's necessary for all of the things I'm doing for all the businesses I'm doing. It's necessary to create a presence and keep one, but I'm not a fan of the mentality that it creates and the, and the, uh, and the, the millennial generation seems to be um, less resilient emotionally than a lot of others. Actually the, the newest, the youngest people coming in now are, are actually much tougher, but I would say the 23 to 33 range are extremely soft people. And then the social media um, just makes it harder for them to, to harden up and like, you know, mm-hmm. get there in life. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I've seen as well is just for, just coming from the British angle. Cause I, I follow a lot of UK coaches. A lot of them follow me. There's a massive lack of origin, originality. In, yeah. in terms of UK bodybuilding. No offense to Train by JP or Muscle Mentors, but every UK coach that I know is dick riding Train by JP and Muscle Mentors. Like if you're not a clone of those two, then are you even a UK coach at this point? Like everyone is just, it's just yeah. ridiculous. Like have some fucking originality. I'm not as sensitive to it as, as I used to be and I don't watch it as closely. So mm. I, I did watch some JP stuff and I just, I, I don't know he's obviously put on a tremendous amount of muscle. Um, but the way he trains, I'm just looking at it and saying, you know, most people are going to get hurt doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or more people are going to get hurt doing this than should. I, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, that's, I think that's a different topic, but I, I certainly, while I, I like JP cause he's brought together a lot of British bodybuilding. Um, I just, yeah. it's, it's just the clones. Like They're the everywhere. Rye. The, 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 every, every, every UK coach sets himself up with a similar system. Everybody's doing the train by JP. Everybody's doing this. Everybody's, everybody's doing Romanian deadlifts with a band around their waist. It's just, for God's sake, it's just, you see the same shit over and over. No one seems to have their own ideas. Well, at least he's original. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So no offense to him at all, but it's, it's just everyone else. Um, yeah. Right, we'll move on to the next one then. Um, so a bit of a different uh, thing. When should you compete? And it says here, when should you not? Um, well, when should you not is probably more important. Um, and you should not compete if you've had a number of health issues in a row that you're coming off of. And you were like, let's say you were, I'm going to compete next fall. And then you go through the winter the year before and you have a small injury that sets you back six weeks. And then you have another one or you get an infection and you end up on antibiotics and then you have to kind of clean out after that because you've been on gear too long. Um, and then you're coming back into the season and you haven't had significant time to make improvements because you've been sidelined. Um, that's, that's a good time to take time and, and, and push it, push it back a little further. So if you're not making improvements, there's really no point in showing up again. Yeah, um, I agree. So I, I see that a lot actually, cause there's, there's, there's a fine line with, you know, especially if you've competed like two years in a row, three years in a row, um, you know, 
you might your body might be better off taking a, a, a whole year and a half, whole two years before you're back on stage. And your body's going to tell you. So that's number one. If you've had some injuries, you've had some sickness, um, and you haven't really had. Hello. Oh, I think I've lost you, Alex. Oh, there you are. You're back. Oh, what did you miss? Where did you last? Uh, literally the last two or three seconds. Oh, okay. You were just summarizing when you shouldn't, that's all. Yeah, so school would be another like people that finish up school and take, you know, a right. semester or two and, and they're, you know, pushing hard for school and they haven't had a chance to really be in the gym and, and be on their meals. And um, that's, that's a good time to push it back to. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is you have to really know why you're competing. There's, there's going to be a goal in mind that's, that's pretty, pretty solid, like clear. Um, whether it be, I'm going to win this particular competition. I'm going to qualify for this and do this show the next year. Um, doesn't mean you're going to reach the goal. It just means that you know what the goal is. And so if you haven't got that goal in mind, um, starting to prep for a show is probably too early. You're probably just, you probably just need to diet and see what's going on before you do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then when should you compete? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I think everybody should compete if they feel like they want to compete. I think there should be, you should, and what that means is you should be prepared to put everything you have into competing. Um, and when the moment that is that, that you say, I'm willing to do whatever is necessary to get in the best shape and win the show, um, then I think you should do it regardless of what anybody else thinks. Um, you might not be ready, but you're going to learn something pretty, pretty serious by getting on stage and you're not going to know what you're made of until you do. And it might be just the driver that you need um, in terms of structure, rigidity, dedication, finishing out a job, um, doing something extremely difficult you've never done before. Um, all of those have value. And I think that if, you, if you're ready to pursue that and you're ready to take that on, that you should. Um, now, if you get up there and you look like, you know, pretty bad, or the competition's much better structurally, you're terrible, or whatever the reason is, or maybe you get up there and you just fucking hate it. Um, don't do it again. That's fine. Not not a problem. That first time you compete, it's not like you know you have to go become nationally qualified and be ready to be at nationals. It's yeah. you know it's you get different experience. for everybody. Yeah. Some people obviously have um, the goods <laughs> to do it, and and every year they're like not sure if they're going to do it, and they never do. You know, um, so I think for a lot of those people, it's just like they're not prepared to, to put the put the effort in. You know, and then I get they get people that are like, oh, I want to compete. Here's the money, and I'm ready to go. Here's the plan. Let's go. And then like you know, three or four weeks into it, they're like, ah, I don't really know. Like, <laughs> you know, like can I do this? Can I get away with that? Can I, you know, there's a trip over here. Can I do this? Can I do that? And really, like, if you're gonna prep for a show you don't even have to tell me if you're going on a trip because you're just going to do the fucking plan. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you're leaving, going anywhere. It, it makes no difference. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, I'm going to be going with my buddies over here. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. I, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's what, it's one of the frustrating things about working with some clients where, you know, they've not the killer instinct clients that we've talked about previously. They are just gen yeah. prop clients, but then they'll want to go away for a holiday. And it's like in that stage, look, they've got their priorities. You can't really argue with that, but you You'd prefer if they stuck to the plan, but you know they're not going to. It's, it's, it can be frustrating, but uh, it, it's it's their goals, I guess. Right. 
yeah, it is. It's their goals. So, yeah. you know, you should compete whenever you feel like you're ready. But to me, it sh- you should be prepared to do the work. That's yeah. basically it. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, just switching gears a little bit to uh, the next question. We had some coming in from the forums. Uh, this one was just simply crazy drug regimens that you've seen over the years. We, we kind of briefly talked about it on the last show, but what are some of the yeah. more outlandish ones you've seen? I, th- I think we were talking about pros, like pros, uh, Kai a, Green. I had, a guy, I had a guy that you could probably file under one of the worst clients too. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was, he was on GH 15. He was actually like, I think I know who you mean <laughs> already. <laughs> I think you've mentioned him before. Carry on. Oh, I'm not sure if I have, but you yeah. might know this guy once I, I, I don't remember what his name was on there. It was like all caps too. It's quite, yeah. <laughs> um, this dude, um, <laughs> everything I told him to take, he took way more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and I, I, you know, I started out at like at like a decent amount of drugs, and yeah. he was like, no, 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 way more. First, <laughs> first, he was like, I want to hit three hundred in the off season. I want to be three hundred pounds. Yeah. And he, we started at like two hundred thirty pounds. Fuck and I was like, man. yeah. But he was like untrained at that point. Like he was trained, but he had he had been not training for a while. Yeah. And he was, you know, pretty lean. So. Uh, tall guy. Was and, he the guy uh, with the, uh, the the dodgy peck? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I do know. I do remember. So <laughs> the only thing the only thing he really cared about was getting to three hundred, and I I didn't care at all about it. Uh, I think we got to like three hundred three, and wow. And but really, like past two eighty, I would have been fine turning it around. And he was just like, no. <laughs> so so you know, after we got to three hundred, he says, "Well, you told me to take, you know." Uh, 10 IUs of Slim with your meals and I was taking 20 <laughs> and just eating extra and oh, oh, oh by the way I put Lantus on top and you told me to take 6 <laughs> IUs of GH but I took 18 and I was like okay <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what do you even do with that what, what no, nothing, possible nothing. response could you have to that so it, it turned <laughs> out that he was like he was doing uh I, I told him to take 1,200 milligrams of test, and he was doing 2,500. Oh, wow. Um, Holy shit. And so I kind of knew it, so I was kind of, like, trying to tell him the lower end of things. Yeah. Like, I, I knew he was going to push it, but I thought he would, like, add 30%, you know? But he was just doubling it. I yeah. thought he would be like, oh, he said 1,200, I'll do 1,700. Oh, he said 6 IU, I'll do 10 IU. Like, something like that is what I thought he would do. Hmm. But he was like, no, I'll just fucking blow it up 300%. Why not? <laughs> you know? So he just he just – and I don't even know what he was doing for trend because he was like, I don't know where he'd be like, Hey, I found parable. And I'm like, uh, okay. So he just added that on top. I seem, I seem to remember he was on like maybe a gram and a half of that as well. He was just doing everything. And, yeah. and so at the end of it, I had, and you know, he wanted to do Lavron's 200 milligrams of Vanadrol. And I was like, I don't know if Lavron really did that. And he was like, well, I want to try it. And I was like, eh, I don't, I'm not, I don't even know how to tell this guy. No, at this point, I'm just like, <laughs> I go, I don't really think you need any orals at all with this, you know, with what you're using. So at the end of it, his, he was 2,500 milligrams of test, a gram and a half of trend or parabolin or whatever the fuck. I don't even know. Mm. Um, he had a gram of DECA that he told me um, that he just, I told him not to run DECA at that point and he just kept running it. Mm. Um, 18 IU of GH, 200 milligrams of Anadrol. Um, D-ball when he found it, like he was like, oh, that's a D-ball. He threw it in there. Mm. Um, basically, just anything he could find, he just put in. So he was probably close to like eight, eight or nine grams when he was done with a lot of insulin and a lot of food. And I do mean a lot of food. Like he was, that's how you kill yourself. 
you do that long enough, that's how you do it. You know, not not acutely, but you know. So end end result for him? Oh, how how do you look at all this gear? End result was we dieted down. I'd have to look at what he weighed when we dieted him down, but he was like in the two forty range, two fifty range. Wow. And uh very, very, very lean, very sharp. Um but he got slaughtered on stage because he his posing was terrible and he had the torn pack and yeah. you know, and he was um I think he was like third out of five or something like that. He he was a tall guy as well, I remember. He's like six two, six Yeah. Three. He was very limmy though, you know? He's very limmy. Uh, the other part of it was that he was also like he'd send check-in pics from like six different locations. <laughs> um, I think this dude had some money. I don't know where he got the money. I I know what he used to do. I I know it makes sense because he had easy access. Well, without saying too much, he had. Oh, okay. Let's, let's just say he had. Know, let's just say he had easy access to that stuff. So like, yeah, let's just leave it. I there. didn't know if that was his gig. That yeah, yeah. Because yeah. He, he would be like, one check-in picture would be like standing in front of the crib with his daughter in the crib. <laughs> right. You know, like like here's my front double bicep with my daughter, like <laughs> age age one standing just, behind me. Just weirdly, yeah, yeah. And then the next one is like front double bicep in a hotel with like a hooker in the back. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. And I'm like, who's that? He's like, that's a hooker. Uh, uh, and I'm like, shit. oh, okay. So uh, I'm like, you didn't tell her to clear out before you took pictures. She's like, no, 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 whatever. So, but it was like you know, one week at home, one week at, out on the road with hookers. And he would just talk about him like, yeah, I was fucking a hooker. And that's like, <laughs> I'm like okay. So Brilliant. basically he was just, I, I would be shocked if he wasn't doing rec drugs on top of it. Yeah. I, I would be shocked if basically every uh, thrill seeking activity wasn't part of his regimen. <laughs> um, so that, those type, those types of people, like I think that Rick risk aversion, uh, is is not a great trait for bodybuilding in general like you need to be risk tolerant to a degree um i'm a pretty risk tolerant person like i i've had some pretty good experiences but um there's a level that's like you see it like craig Goliath, uh that that dude yeah, <laughs> in yeah. las vegas yeah. uh what's that guy in new york bo something bo basin mm-hmm. um like two kidney transplants and yeah. just can't stand to be small, can't stand to live small. Um, there's a level of risk aversion that's like extreme in bodybuilding where those guys are, they're going to die, you know? Yeah. And they're going to die from lots of different reasons, but you know, the drugs are one of them. And so I've, that, that's one of them. There's been a few people like that where they just, you know, I've run into people that are like not very good bodybuilders at all who are like, Hey, what do you have, you know, Brian on, what do you have chainsaw on? What do you have these guys on? And when I tell them, because I will tell them, like, pretty pretty much honestly, you know, they're like, no, no, that's not true. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, whatever you're doing, buddy, you don't need that much, trust me. And, you know, they, I, I've never gotten through to anybody that way. I've never actually made, made a dent. There, so. there is definitely a thing to be said for just becoming a better bodybuilder. I mean, I, I've purposely spent uh, two years in between competitions just because it's my first official off-season. Um, and I, I, I just need to get to grips with what I'm doing. You know what I mean? It's a, it's just a case that you can just you can just try and be a better bodybuilder. It's not just all about pumping in more drugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean they're obviously they work and there's they they exist and they're they're going to be used and, and they uh, they you know you should use them if you're going to be a top level bodybuilder. But there's there's no amount of drugs that's going to make you elite if you're not elite. Yeah. So you can try. Go for it, but 
you're gonna you're gonna be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, if you see some of the elite guys as well, like I don't know. I think I think a lot of people have come to the realization now, which which is why the classic class is thriving. Which is why men's physique is like if you look at men's physique guys, those guys are on gear, lots of gear. Oh yeah, and you know, like that the the look of those guys are pretty big now, um, as as opposed to five or six years ago when you could get away with like bikini girl cycles, basically. Yeah. Um, but you know, the drugs are drugs are prevalent in every division, even bikini. I mean, the, the craziest thing is when you see a guy who actually does have a lot of talent uh, and natural. I mean, I don't know if you see one of Chester's clients um, recently. He's 240 with abs and he's not touched anything yet. Uh, yeah. He pretty much looks like Ronnie did before Ronnie started taking anything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's just insane. It's just that like, just, people are just like, oh, I just give up now. I saw this dude a couple of weeks ago. We went to his gym. He, had, he opened a gym in, uh, in Lowell. So if you guys want to look him up on, on, uh, Instagram, it's th the number three underscore professor. Mm-hmm. You'll find him, and uh, he he walked out, and you know it's like it's like a Latin community. So I walk in the gym, and all these dudes are like shirt off, walking around looking like Adonis, <laughs> and uh, and this dude stands up off a bench, and I'm like, oh shit, this is like potential written all over him, mm-hmm. and uh, and my client Chris Pantano, who invited me there, he trains there. He says he points at him, he goes, that's he's fucking natural. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. go look at this guy's profile. And I'm looking at him in person and I'm going, no, yeah, no, he's not. He's like, yep, WNBF pro. He's going to do classic next year. And I'm like, give me two years with this fucking guy. Yeah. You know <laughs> yeah. Give me two years with this guy and I'll, I'll give you like, like 212 bodybuilder pro, pro level, no problem. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 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 But, yeah, I mean, those guys, like, you see the guy like that, it just puts you in your place. He's better than I'll ever be, and he's natural. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, so, so, so that's, I suppose that's one good thing about uh, social media and bodybuilding. The popularity has certainly, uh, certainly risen. Um, right, so we'll move on to the next question. A um, little bit more on steroids now. So PEDS and infertility, is that overblown or not? Um, I'm honestly not sure. I think that if you've got problems with fertility, um, it's definitely not helping. Uh, but I've seen, I myself had two children on, I was on heavy cycles at the time, um, different types of cycles. One of them was post-show. And at the time when I was post-show, I was like, I kept running gear, which I don't do anymore. But I, at the time I was, I was like insane and just kept going. And so I was still on trend, although it was lower. I think I was on 350 and I was still on a gram of test and a little bit of master on. And I, I conceived my son. Um, couldn't tell you how, cause I've been blown blanks my whole life, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, got conceived my son. And then my daughter, a few years later, I was on an off season cycle and conceived her. And then, you know, so like, I was just, I chalked it up as to GH being kind of a healer of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw myself and my wife got on GH at the same time and she got pregnant immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so and we've been together for years and never used protection so it was kind of like okay that might have done something i remember um, you saying that yeah i remember you saying about going back on it being a, a bit of a revelation for you the gh it's definitely circumstantial mm. but i've seen it work with several people i've seen uh, several people i've said just just skip the hcg just use hgh and see what happens and several people have gotten pregnant doing that wow uh, on the other hand i've had several clients that i've helped with fertility um, which is about the toughing coaching, toughest coaching assignment you can have um, because it requires like anti-bodybuilding to a degree. Yes. And uh, 
and so you know the mental aspect's really tough but um a couple of clients have, have managed to do it one of them ended up having to use um in vitro um and then the other a couple of others didn't and they they managed to do it without but i think if you've got real trouble with it that the gear could be um quite detrimental cut quite detrimental but otherwise i haven't seen enough evidence that it's like going to prevent you from having kid children i see so many people that have kids you know I'd, I'd also add on top of that as well as perhaps um just general health and body fat levels is probably plays a role would you agree in that probably mm. but I, I honestly i see all sorts of people having kids that like i look at them and go how <laughs> you know I had one client, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, it's funny in like a, no, don't, it's not funny. Kind of <laughs> um, but he was, he had just gotten married and uh, he can, he conceived the child. Um, and then like, I think the child was being born in the hospital and then he popped on his wife, by the way, I have a side chick and she's pregnant and we're doing like four months. Oh shit. So, so that whole thing unraveled after that, obviously, but, but, uh, it was funny, not funny because he was on everything when he conceived both of the children. <laughs> and so as a result of two children in a year, he's, he's now like a puny dad bod. <laughs> hasn't, hasn't been training as much, quite as much, but, uh, <laughs> he's but laid yeah, off laid off the trend <laughs> so i just point to him and go well obviously not because you, <laughs> you can get multiple people pregnant in minutes if you, yes yeah, <laughs> he's more so more virile than he needs to be <laughs> more than there needs to be really exist, exactly yeah. yeah so not that every child I, actually both of the children are beautiful and i'm sure they're a blessing but just for you know of course sure. general general purposes i advise yeah yeah. <laughs> that's great but yeah I, I i think it might be overblown but i don't i honestly i don't think anyone can tell you the answer to that succinctly i don't think that it exists i think some people have no problem whatsoever and like ronnie what is 19 kids and then and then others uh have quite quite a hard time yeah i i like that answer i think it, it pretty much jives with what i've seen as well um just moving on to one of the, the we've got two questions left hopefully we've got time to answer them um could we have a bit of a discussion around individuality with stacks? This question actually comes from that 240 pound natural beast. Um, he wants to just, he wants you to talk a little bit about uh, how you would individualize for people. Uh, Cause I know you're a fan of higher test, uh, but uh, what sort of changes have you had to make for different people? Well, somebody that hasn't done gear before, I don't get too fancy trying to envision a stack for them. That's unique. Mm -hmm. Um, it's pretty tough to just guess what's going to work for somebody. I guess you could do some blood work and figure out if they've got certain like a blood disorder or what type they are. And you could probably individualize to some degree through that, what their, what their estrogen levels look like normally. Um, all that stuff you can, you can kind of take that into account. Um, but generally speaking, I, I do stick to test as the driver, um, the base, and like, I, I've never personally put anybody on an Androlone only stack. Just, I've never, I've never done it. And I, I probably never will. Uh, I don't feel comfortable just um, experimenting on somebody else like that. Um, although I've, I've watched some people do it with some success. I question if it's actually more successful. Um, and in the end, I, I, I tend to say, 
you know, did they get to the, did they get the biggest they were going to get that way? And I, I usually think no. So if they're, you know, if there's another reason for them to do it, then all for it. But uh, individuality comes down to like their tolerances for different drugs and how they respond. So um, usually I'm going to start with tests and I'm going to probably use Masteron if they've got some estrogen issues before I get into AIs. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually I'm, I'm going to try like Anavar with people and see what happens. Like see, see if it, like I took, I take Anavar right now and I gained four pounds and I look like a beast cause I have, mm-hmm. I've been off everything for so long. So it's like, like I was telling somebody a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I opened up looking for another bottle of test, uh, to do my TRT and I, Anavar fell out. That was an open bag and I was like, ah, fuck it. Start eating, start eating these for until the bag's gone and, and I put on four pounds in a week and started to look like a bodybuilder again and I'm like damn like it's actually a better drug than I remember yeah you know? that's interesting I don't remember you saying much about far yeah yeah it was it was it's refreshing because when I was on a lot of stuff I take Anavar I wouldn't even notice mm-hmm. but you know like if you're a beginning bodybuilder beginning to gear it might be a, a perfect drug um, so I might start with, I generally would, would just start with the mildest stuff you can do. And, uh, you know, test isn't the super mildest, but in a lower dose, it's, it's okay. And, um, a little bit of test in Anavar and see, see how you, uh, how you respond to it. And then, you know, like as most things go, you progress and try new things, but I think it gets to be a little bit too much experimentation just to try to find the perfect drug and it's not going to work that way. Like, yeah. You're not going to find like T ball works better than Anavar or something like that. Like, there's probably no reason to ever take Terinabol. Um, yeah. But people do because they want to try different stuff. Or they, there's really like to me, all of the trend derivatives, all the, all the, the methyl trends and the oral trends and all that stuff, like, really have no place in bodybuilding as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, you know, maybe like injectable super draw or something. But even that is, I don't think it's a necessary drug. I don't, I question whether it's really going to give you an edge at all. Um, and it certainly has downsides. So, um, yeah, I, I think people, particularly on the internet, where everyone seems to hyper focus on, on 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 specifics, there seems to be a lot of a tendency to sort of um, consider that each drug has its own, you know, various uses, particularly in the off season. And I think yeah. it's I think it's more a case of just finding what works for you, what as in what's tolerable, and what lets you take a high dose <laughs> that you need. Well, let's, you let's, know, yeah, yeah. But let's let's first like let's assume first that you're covering all the bases of nutrition and training. Right. Exactly. Because if you're not, and you're just trying to find a drug that you tolerate better, you're, you're cheating yourself. There's, there's no, there's no point. You're not really going to get anywhere. You might, you might look pretty good. Um, and you might be happy with it, but as far as I'm concerned, it's like, you're not really pushing your potential and I drug experimentation just for the sake of experimentation doesn't really interest me. Um, you know, I'm trying to get a certain result. Like I'm trying to go somewhere with it. So to me, it's like, you want to get hyper focused on the stuff that's really bodybuilding. And then, then you start to figure out drug wise. I'm not, I'm not saying you need to use the least amount of drugs out of everybody, you know, I'm just saying that you need to use the least amount of drugs. That's, that's, uh, you know, effective to get to where you want to go and gives you the opportunity to add things later. So you're not just using them as crutches. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think on the flip side of that, you know, you've got somebody <clears throat> who's, and I've, I've seen a few of these guys around sort of my local area. They don't really have the other factors nailed down. So they're generally walking around a little bit overweight diets, not 
particularly great and they're yeah. using exotics you know things like trend and halo to kind of look better and they look slightly better but you're putting that much strain on a body that's already stressed uh, right. that just doesn't seem to way to go I, I don't think that there's any high level bodybuilders that are really excellent that also romanticize drugs yeah um so i think that there's a there's a population of bodybuilders who are very romanticized by drugs they they're like they love drugs. They love what they do to them. They, they talk about them like they're girls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, like, like it's the hottest chick you've ever heard of. Yeah. Um, oh my God, how I feel on this, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I, I guess there was a period of time, like I took Hemogenin, the, the original uh, Anadrol that were in the orange blister packs mm-hmm. when I was like 21, 22 when I first started using gear, I, I remember I couldn't find anything. So uh, this dude came, came over and he had a bottle of Laura Bolin, which had a big horse on it. It was like a 50 CC <laughs> bottle of Laura Bolin. He was like, I got this and I got Hemogenin. And I was like, yeah, all right, give me both. So Laura Bolin's basically like, kind of like DECA. Mm-hmm. So I guess I have run a DECA only cycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I ran Laura Bolin, you know, 50 milligrams a day. I took a shot a day for 50 days. And I took uh, one Anadrol 50 tab a day. And I lasted about a week before my fucking prostate hurt. It was so, <laughs> it was so strong that uh, I could feel it in my asshole. It was like, oh my God. And, but I was like, I was beast mode, you know, like, fuck, this stuff's insane. Because it was obviously a much stronger drug than I needed at the time. Um, but, you know, so like, that was probably the only time that I took a drug that I was like, fuck, that's crazy. Um, and, I never took it again. Like I never really used Anadrol again. Like once I got better as a bodybuilder, I'd use Anadrol and I'd feel like I was too puffy on it. Yeah. And I I was just like, ah, yeah, I don't really, I don't really care. Like I I don't really need it. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I took it out and and I don't really put it in a lot of people's plans. In fact, I've, I've had people like, I haven't put Chris uh, Chainsaw on Anadrol in years. Like I have, I don't think I've ever used it on him. And cause there's just no, no need for it. There's nowhere that it, if he ever got so flat that he needed it, I'd use it, but I just, it just hasn't happened. So, um, you know, cosmetic drug really, but most of the people are not lean enough to use it. So they're just, they just look like puffballs. Yeah. I think, I think, that. I think to kind of round that out, it's, it goes back to um, your point about common traits that champion athletes um, have yeah. and it's a single-mindedness like you know, experimentation for the sake of experimentation just isn't in a champion's mindset it's like i've got i you know this is what works let's get it done that's the end goal uh, I, I much prefer working with people like that so we got uh, one last question this is from one of my clients um <clears throat> how much does shape structure versus overall mass mean when it comes to winning competitions well He's um, just to just to frame it. He's a little bit on the shorter side. Um, structurally, he's actually pretty decent, but he's a little bit on the sh- smaller side, and he hasn't quite got the mass yet. Yeah. Um, well, so am I. I'm on the short side, mm. um, and I was aesthetically pretty good for a while, and then I became kind of a bigger small guy for a while. Um, I guess if you look at like results that you see in bodybuilding more often you see like um you see the structurally sound guy beating the other guys as long as they're you know they're decently big like sean roden's gonna beat roly winkler as long as sean roden is is in shape and decently big like he's not flat he doesn't look narrow he's you know full and 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 looks round but uh 
he'll beat Roly, even though Roly was at his career best at the Olympia and looked absolutely insane. He did, yeah. Um, looked crazy, crazy. Mm. Like, I, nobody would have had a problem with him winning, to be Yeah, honest. he looked fantastic. But, but, you know, you pick Roden because um, structurally he's just the best bodybuilder there was. Mm. So I think that if you're going to put, like, Bonac next to somebody like Curry, if they're both in shape, you have to pick Curry. Yes. He's got, he's got the, the shape. Um, if if Bonek, he can't fit another ounce of muscle on him and look good. So if Curry were not as big as he was, then Bonek would win because he's more developed. Um, so, you know, you have to be fully developed in order to win, but you don't have to be the biggest guy by any stretch. Like Dorian would have lost to Flex if Flex ever came in right. Like he would he have lost. Here comes my wife. She's going to interrupt us. <laughs> I'm still on this. What? Part of it? Yeah. I'm a, what am I? Part of, am I part of it, Faz? Um, yeah, I'm the guest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to need to edit some stuff. It's the last question. Okay, last question. What, oh, this was the last question. Yeah, yeah, this was okay. the yeah, yeah. I thought we had... I thought we had this one, which was the uh, it was, common coaching pitfalls. I'll have to think on that one more. Oh yeah, of course we did. Yeah, we, that's right. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, we'll do another one in a couple months or something. We'll yeah, yeah, that sounds questions. great. That sounds fine. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, that's basically it. Like I think if you're if you're structurally sound, you're going to beat pretty much everybody. Um, just based on that, as long as you've got enough muscle for the class you're in. Like if you're just squeaking into a uh, uh, light heavyweight class but you really should be a middleweight and you're kind of too tall for middleweight you're kind of too small for light heavyweight you might have an issue yeah. but as long as you're kind of maxing out the class you're in as far as as far as weight then the structurally sound guy is going to win and it's, once you get to the pro ranks it's like you know um like say like keep going back to say he he probably will win that show next year in my opinion because john de Rosa, again will not be in shape and you know it, he'll come in and be in shape and maybe with another five or ten pounds he'll have what it, what it takes to win because he's you know right now he's just a little undersized so you know you do have to have the requisite mass you know dexter's the obvious like best best example because he's had like a 75 year career with, the same, <laughs> with almost the same physique for most of it and yeah i think he's put on maybe 10 i want to say five or 10 pounds in about 12 years so pretty much exactly the same it, se it seems like it's about that mm -hmm. and uh you know notwithstanding the biceps injections which at times get silly mm -hmm. um you can go back and find some pictures of him from like the last six or seven years where he he's got so much oil on his arms that it's like okay that's enough mm -hmm. but uh other than that like structurally he's he's quite close to unbeatable especially when his stomach used to be super tight um that he was like you know the only guys that were going to beat him was like marcus roll if he was way on or you know the the best of the best at that point like the ronnie's and those guys but you know anybody else he's, he's going to dust off so if you see the circuit if he went and did circuit shows that weren't the olympia or arnold he was going to win any one of them at any time anytime he wanted mm -hmm. so um 
yeah, structure matters quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, definitely. My my answer to him was sort of you can't really do a great deal about structure, so just put on as much mass as you can. Is in the amateur ranks that does count for a lot. Uh, one final quick fire question: uh, Your favorite bodybuilder from which year? So your favorite bodybuilder's favorite look? Like for me, it's a toss up between Cutler two thousand nine to Coleman two thousand three. What about you? So you're saying that you you like two thousand. Three? 2003 Ronnie or 2009 Jay. So a bodybuilder oh, and a oh. year you thought he was the best. Oh God. Those are both really amazing physiques. Yes. And I honestly don't prefer either. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. Like if, um, yes, you can leave it. Um, I feel like my favorite physiques let me let me think about what my favorite physiques ever. Phil, Phil Heath at the one year at the Ironman where he showed up and won that show, and then he became the Olympia two years later. I think his second Olympia win. I don't know what year it was. Uh, yeah, early on he was crazy. Yeah, and I still don't really love his like his front lat spread, and and he was still kind of narrow and kind of looked weird in some poses. But overall, that that sort of structural perfection um, on stage is is insane. That was that was one of my favorite looks, uh, but also the condition. Like his condition was so extreme, you know. The fullness and condition is so extreme; it was unmatched. Yeah. Uh, Kai Green at that one, uh, there are a couple shows, but like the one of the one of the British Grand Prix or like Arnold's or something in Europe had was just so so super striated and, and crazy. <laughs> um, Earlier, earlier, Kai Green, like not not the first year when he Colorado Pro and New York Pro, not that year, but like a couple of years after that when he put on a lot of size, but he was still really, really ripped, was so unique. He was creating muscle groups like he just nobody had ever had. <laughs> yeah. You're looking at him going, I don't know what that muscle is. Nobody has that. Why is why is his lower back <laughs> like why is there roundness and striations on, on like near his ass on his back? Yeah. So like stuff like that. He he was completely unique. Um, if I go back further, um, like I always loved Dorian, but to me in that era, like Kevin Lavrone had the best physique of that of that era to me, but he never peaked, never ever, not once. Um, and he also was like lacking from behind, so it was like from the front and side, Kevin Lavrone was like the dude you wanted to look like. Yeah. It was, it was just like, if I could walk on the beach looking like anybody, it would be Kevin LeBron. Yeah, especially front top. Like, legs, you could maybe, maybe argue about his legs. Yeah, sure, sure. But, like, if you see a dude walking down the street, like, I would just take that physique over anyone. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like, I never really loved Flex Wheeler. I know Flex Wheeler has a crazy physique, but I never really loved how he'd come into shows. Like, I thought, I always thought he was, like, he, he would just look like he didn't train as hard. He, he had, like, less less density to him so he did he is yeah i yeah. agree and chris cormier never hit his peak really either he was always like like 80 percent pretty much i was always. a i was a huge fan of cormier's just his symmetry was amazing every body part seemed to be well defined you know he just like god did a good job on him do you know what i mean <laughs> i was too until he didn't send me the dvd i paid for for like six months <laughs> right i kept emailing him being like where's my dvd man i want to watch yeah. it Oh, fuck that guy then. <laughs> yeah, fucking. Hey, listen, Chris, I want my DVD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, like those those guys, I, I always liked the structurally sound guys better than I like just the mass. Like I yeah. know that 
a lot of people prefer just the size and the and the brute like look of it um but i would take like dennis roll dennis over roll like dennis wolf over roll um i just thought he had a better physique top to bottom and he had enough size to be like holy shit you know that's that's a lot of size um and I'm having a hard time. Like Jay, uh, Jay, I was a huge fan of, but it was never because of just his physique. And I'm having a hard time picking like my favorite bodybuilder ever. Favorite bodybuilder ever. I, I guess it's Phil Heath. Okay. Wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I think he's the least beatable guy. Like I think Ronnie was the most dominant, but I think Phil Heath at his peak and I'm, I'm going to get shit for this. I think he would have beat Ronnie. I think if he took the 99 Ronnie against the whatever 2011 or whatever it was, Heath, I think 2011 Heath would expose him in some areas. I think, I think you'll definitely get some shit for that. Um, oh, I, think, I will. I will. I, I think with 2000, for me, with 2009, Jay, for example, he went up against some good competition there. Like Branch looked great that year. And there were a couple yeah. of other good guys. But the thing is, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier. When you put Jay next to anybody in the lineup, like Dexter or Branch, so he's just too big, too muscular. It's just, you can't beat him. Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah. No, 100%. I, I agree. That was, that was the pinnacle of Jay. Other than like the, the 2002 and three years. Yeah, yeah. He looked good in 2002. 2003 when he did the Iron Man, like right yeah. after. Uh, he was doing like every show for a while. Yeah, but his waist was crazy then. It was crazy good. Yeah. He was crazy good. Yeah. But he still didn't have the back detail. Like if you turn around yeah. against against 2011, Phil. Yeah. I don't think people understand how good that was. I really Phil, don't. Phil from behind was excellent. He was amazing. I don't. No. I don't. I don't think if you put Ronnie and Phil side by side at that year, hmm. that that Phil loses that shot. I really don't. I, I think that it's unpopular, but I don't think he loses the shot. Although I will say it might be the same situation. You put Ronnie next to Phil. And Ronnie's just too big. He might be right. You know? But once, but, he, got, uh, once he got, like, supersized in 2003, he lost something. 2003, like, I thought he was pretty amazing because he was huge, like 280, but he was just oh, shredded. Oh, amazing. After amazing, that, sure. he, yeah, after that, he started to come down a bit. I think he got softer. But 2003 was his year when he was, like, he, he almost got beaten by Gunter in, in the Ironman or something, and he came back, like, I'm going to show yeah. these guys what's what, and he just came back. 2002. Uh, Gunter beat him at the. That's show it. Track. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he came back in 2003, like like just supersized. <laughs> but I still I still think that his back shots. If you look at his back shots, um, when like he was the back double bicep, especially he had less detail in his upper back. His lower body was like stupid. It's crazy. Um, and and like actually not didn't look possible. Like you mm. looked at it and you were like, I don't know what that is. That's like a horse's ass with strength. Yeah, yeah. And his traps as well was were unbelievable. And I saw him in person at the, around that time. I saw him actually oh. like every year because he'd come to Bev's and I lived out there. Mm. But uh, I saw him in person like training, you know, in, in spandex and stuff. And his ass was like bigger than me. <laughs> <laughs> legitimately like around. Was, it was just so big. I couldn't even explain it to you. Like, <laughs> just great. so much muscle. Yeah, you know, yeah, all over his body. Um, the absolutely the the pinnacle of human size that I've seen in terms of like, you know, development. I think uh, so. Yeah, sure. I do. Yeah, I agree. But again, like, if you take him into in ninety nine and ninety eight, ninety nine, even two thousand, aesthetically he was better, but he had more flaws because of, you know, because of the structural thing, like the four abs and the the, mm. 
yeah. his waist was a little more squatty and it doesn't have a whole lot of definition in his legs. People don't realize that, I guess they don't really look, but he doesn't, he's never had a striation in his legs to be, to be spoken of. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's tough without putting them side by side, but I, I think that Phil might take some of those shots that you'd be surprised if they were standing there, okay. but, but maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. Ronnie would just look like a fucking freak and that'd be it. <laughs> Maybe. All right. That's a, that's a good place to round us out. So, um, Alex, thanks again, once again for your time. And, uh, yeah, I'll, we'll definitely do another one, whether it's on yours upcoming or whether it's on mine. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta get, the, get my shit together. And put Sounds it, great. Put it on there. Right, folks, we're going to call it there. So that's it from me. That's it for Alex and, uh, take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks fast. Cheers, man.